0: Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry.
1: Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to tcs.com. That's tcs.com. Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury, your host. Today we have with us a great friend of mine and to the industry and energy industry in Oklahoma and across the nation, David A. Guest. David, welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast.
0: Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today.
1: Well, it's always great to visit with you, and I know for a fact I can say it early that we'll be having a lot of things we'd like to discuss we won't be able to cover today, but we'll cover as much as we can in this short period of time. But we have a lot of those that are listening that come from not only the energy industry, uh, the senior fellows and the energy fellows and those in the uh, thought leaders and industry leaders, but those that are up and coming, those that are students or those that are thinking about entering as a student in the energy management side or energy fields, We have those that are up and coming leaders. So we have a broad spectrum, including consumers that would like to hear and get facts from you and from us and how we can make America's need for energy even stronger and, and how we can help the globe. So we'll start off with uh, I think so important as always, I love to talk about the, you as a, as a friend, as a guest, to talk about your journey of life, because this journey is very important for those that are listening to understand what the future holds, because you have to look at the past to look at the future. So David, please tell us about your journey. Well, Mark, I would
0: like to say oil and gas is in my DNA. I'm a third-generation oil and gas energy person. Grandparents on both paternal and maternal side originated from North Texas, moved to central Oklahoma to get rich, picky cotton. And (laughs) due to the bull weevils and drought, that didn't work out back in the early 20s. My grandfather, on the paternal side, ended up working in the oil field as a uh, roustabout, moved up to a pumper. Then my father, born in 1925, I think graduated high school in 1940, 41, went into the U.S. Navy, went into become a pilot, went into pilot training. But uh, fortunately, the war ended before he completed his naval aviation training. Came back to Oklahoma, the Tulsa area, used the GI Bill, went to what well, was in Tulsa Business College. We now know it as the University of Tulsa, mm-hmm. private institution, wonderful petroleum engineering and petroleum geology programs, and a wonderful university, great educational opportunities there. So I grew up in Tulsa, don't want to date myself, but graduated high school in 1980, and I just felt in I had the opportunity to go to, my father worked for a major oil company, his son oil company based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was, I think a property accountant. He was, I think his actual title was a materials coordinator. He bought everything from pipe in the ground to the cars and trucks that they drove in the field. So he had a accounting background, business background, and I had the opportunity to go to courthouses and do land investigations, uh, do title on real estate and a little bit of mineral work with him. And I just really enjoyed that, Mark. I love the history of mineral titles and real estate titles and learning how people acquired it from their parents or grandparents and the history. So I felt early on that I would like to be a petroleum land man. Mm-hmm. And Going upon that, I felt like I always wanted to work for myself. I didn't feel like I wanted to work for one of the big companies. So I've kind of been an independent person throughout my life and went to the Oklahoma State University for a couple of years, ended up at the University of Oklahoma in the Petroleum Land Management Program, now known as Energy Management. Mm -hmm. It kind of broadened out from what was originally Petroleum Landman Trading, now do energy trading and energy management in all spectrums. So it's kind of broadened the program down there in Norman. But that's kind of my background. I've been a a small independent producer for 30-some years, been in the mineral business for almost 40 years. I just love the industry. Like I said, oil and gas is in my DNA. And also, we all know that oil and gas is in the DNA of everybody's life, whether it comes from oil and gas products, transportation, our food, our energy, just uh, everything is related to oil and gas.
1: You're exactly right. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, David, you are president, I believe the title is president of Guest Petroleum, maybe CEO as well, CEO and president. And, I am um,
0: vice president of Guest Petroleum. It's uh, a family company. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we spread the titles around, spread it around. there and I yes. have an older brother, an older sister and ah, uh, gotcha. we share the company and uh, we're in the marginal well operating business in Oklahoma and a couple other states, but primarily my focus at this point is mineral, I hate to use the word exploitation, but mineral management and oil and gas leasing and management and trying to cash those checks.
1: Well, I got to keep up with your titles. They switch around on me, but that's good because nothing moves without energy, including David A. Guest and his efforts. And I'm glad you do have these efforts when it comes to education as well. You're not only involved in the industry side as far as uh, making a living, but also educating the public and really appreciate you doing that as a member of different organizations you've been part of and through your leadership, whether it's on a board or advisory board or whatever it might be, you're not just a member, you're active and that's appreciated on a regional, state, and national efforts. You've helped us in great ways. On that note, our country faces some difficulties ahead. Those that are upcoming leaders and those that are current leaders are scratching their heads going, you know, what's next? What can we do? How can we educate to make sure that the message is clear and how we can go through the processes to get to what I call striving for energy efficiency and environmental preservation has been my theme for years. And I think that carries forward to the next generations, what they're trying to do. There's a workforce issue, big time. How do we get to recruit and retain especially young people, to go through the ranks. You know, the gap is there, David. How do we meet this challenge? And I'll start there. How do we meet the challenge on the workforce? Because then I'd like to go into as far as electricity and the usage and what's going to be needed and what reliability and accessibility is needed as well. Let's go back to the workforce and the challenges there on messaging. Well, in
0: preparation of our talk today, I looked at some numbers yesterday and You know, the oil and gas industry over the recent COVID 2020-2021, just in the state of Oklahoma, lost an estimated 20,000 oil and gas jobs. Mm -hmm. Texas lost 55,000 during 20 and 21. You know, fortunately here in 2022, Oklahoma has regained about 8,000 jobs in oil and gas. Texas has regained about 33,000. And I was looking, you know, Texas the numbers here from Texas on the jobs that are needed and I agree and I am a firm believer in education of all forms whether that's a bachelor's degree a higher education degree or technical or career mm-hmm. tech as we call that in Oklahoma right and the numbers that I saw this is coming out of Texas is that the available jobs today as we speak whether they be a landman geologist petroleum engineer draftsman truck driver, pipeliner, on a rig, the current jobs that are available, 44 require a bachelor's degree, 34% a high school diploma or a GED, and 24% no educational requirements. Most of the top qualifications for the jobs in industry right now are including a CDL, also known as a commercial driver's license. And if you know, some of those also require a master's of business administration and regarding the CDLs, a tanker endorsement. So. The job opportunities in the energy industry are wide-ranging, and whether that requires a college degree, or like I said, I am a big believer in the vocational education system, training to be a welder, be a pipe fitter, be an electrician, be a plumber. Listen to a a talk from the Oklahoma Labor Department, the Secretary of Labor, Leslie Osborne, speaking that not to be nefarious on any specific job title, currently there are enough accountants, there's enough engineers, we need more electricians, we need more plumbers, mm-hmm. and those are high-paying jobs. Right. So I think we just need to encourage as much as we can for the younger generation to go ahead and fulfill their educational needs and trying to find a career path that you would enjoy. I think that's a you know primary driver
1: is always do something you enjoy. Well I look at it from that standpoint as well because I know how much you enjoy your work and the results you have and the encouragement you give others. I appreciate that so much. I look at it from the standpoint of the challenge of with the public and getting the message out beyond just the workforce. And I feel in some ways we've succeeded. in some ways I feel like we've fallen. Behind. You might tell about the organizations you're involved with, and then we'll get into some issues. But to get to the issues, have you talked about what organizations you've been part of and are still part of, kind of the history there? Because to be effective, we have to be involved. And uh, you are that involved in a big way.
0: Absolutely, Mark. And I would say, you know, the first organization that we met was the National Association of Royalty Owners. That's I think right. That's uh, how we had. First, exposure to each other, then through the Oklahoma chapter of the Association of Royalty Owners as well. Mm -hmm. I'll just give you a quick rundown of the groups that we both were involved in. I want to say one of the most dynamic organizations was the Energy Advocates. and I know you were a driver behind that organization and just did amazing educational outreach and public relations. So I want to compliment you on- Thank you your work with the energy advocates really appreciate it. you and i also served on the uh, oklahoma commission for marginally producing oil and gas wells which has been renamed as the sustaining oklahoma energy resources committee that started out you know developing education programs for operators and their employees and contractors about how to keep the smaller wells in production maintain those cash flows for Owners, mineral owners, keep those dollars in the local communities. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think what other organizations we've worked together on, but I know definitely NARO, Oklahoma NARO, Energy Advocates, Marginal Well Commission. Right. All wonderful organizations. And I encourage everyone that's listening to investigate. You don't have to be a mineral owner to be a member of NARO. Great educational opportunities. And also regarding the SOAR Committee, again, that's Sustaining Oklahoma Energy Resources, falls under the OERB, the Oklahoma Energy Resources Board, which is the Education and Environmental Cleanup, which is a voluntary contribution on the your payments from oil and gas production. And the OERB statute and program is served as a model for other states. I know, I believe it's uh, Illinois has that program that modeled after Oklahoma. Texas has a smaller version, the OERB and its programs, again, education and environmental cleanup. OERB does not plug wells since that responsibility relies upon the owners, but they clean up abandoned locations from decades ago where there might be some scarring from saltwater damage or remove abandoned equipment. So wonderful programs and wonderful
1: organizations. I'm glad you mentioned the Marginal Wells in particular and the other organizations by all means, but on the Marginal well side from a national standpoint, it's amazing how many small companies are involved, thousands of companies from mom and pop and some larger that are involved in the Marginal Wells. Can you expound on that a little bit? Because I know you were involved also not just on a state level, but really impact what you did here, you impacted the nation as well.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, the margin wells are just kind of the part of the life cycle of an oil and gas well. They're drilled initially, come in with flush production, and over the years decline and reach their economic limit for larger companies that may have drilled those wells and no longer fit their portfolio for their return of capital. So, they divest of those and that creates opportunities for other smaller companies and they they might operate those for decade or two or a couple of years and maybe not economical for those mid-sized companies, then they later fall in the hands of, like you mentioned mom and pops, who typically in the past have been pumpers for those larger companies and are given the opportunity to buy those one, two, three, four, five-barrel-a-day wells that Mm -hmm. are not economical to companies that have large overhead, but for the individuals that don't have a corporate office to maintain and a large staff, that they can make those economically productive and provide a service to the community, a service to the country, one, two, three, four, and five-barrel-a-day wells or 10 mcf a day of gas. Mm-hmm. Those are vital to That's the right. energy needs in America these days.
1: No question about it. I know an organization that I'm a member of but not been involved in the leadership as far as a board or roles like that, but you have as another organization, OEPA. And in that effort at OEPA, which is Oklahoma Energy Is it Producers Alliance? Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, Mark. It's right. (laughs) We got it right. But Producers Alliance, you have been involved with that, but on the regulatory governmental side, as far as committee chair, and that's taking on, and I would say this, what you're doing there is setting a tone for not just only our state, but our nation. And again, I'd like to hear about that, what you've done and what you see in the future there. And then I'd like to get into more of the key issues, again, revolving uh, really electricity and some impacts there.
0: Yes. At OEPA, again, Oklahoma Energy Producers Alliance, we, res- we have about 500 members within the state of Oklahoma and some members that reside out of the state but have production inside Oklahoma. We are typically family-owned, generationally-owned companies, typically vertical well producers, and typically marginally producing oil and gas wells. And to give listeners that Definition, which comes from the federal regulations, IRS regulations, a marginally producing well or colloquially called will call a stripper producing well is less than 15 barrels of oil per day and less than 40 MCF of gas per day. And again, typically the members in our trade organization are family. There are a few of the entities that are public, but again, they're typically family owned and generationally owned. We keep our tax dollars in the smaller cities and counties, help support our schools, the tax base. So we're very proud of that. I am the legislative chairman, volunteer position. That's been interesting to me. Mark, as as a landman, even though that's my training, I'm more of a yes or no kind of guy. Let's get on down the road. So having to deal with the legislators and lobbyists at the state capitals kind of a challenge to me on a personal basis to learn the negotiation process and uh, legislation. One of the big issues going on today, and this will address the question locally as federally, is methane emission rules. That's something that the EPA, there's a ruling that to be coming out this year on methane emissions and monitoring, and that's something that we're observing, looking at the rulemaking, and trying to determine the impact on just not small producers, but all producers, all the way from the one-barrel-a-days up to the 1,000-barrel-a-day producers, and how that's going to be impactful on fees, monitoring systems, and
1: such. Well, your leadership at OEPA is very needed and welcomed, and so please continue in your efforts on all these areas we've talked about. Like I say, when you take something on, you act. It's a what you do. On to the national level, and which is looking at state and regional. It's a big part of that being next to Texas and all these producing states around us. In Oklahoma, of course. We looked at not that long ago, a reliability issue when it came to electricity, when it came to accessibility, when it comes to the grids and so forth. Where are we in statistics regarding, uh, let's say, the usage of Natural gas, coal, nuclear, oil, and so forth. Can you give us a kind of a breakdown of some things you're aware of that we should all be aware of and how we can incorporate some of this in our work as far as finding solutions in the energy industry?
0: I'd be glad to, Mark. I want to give a plug for yourself regarding your book that just was published here in the last uh, well, couple of months. I oh, appreciate that. The, the book title is America Needs America's Energy and Its Natural Resources. Thanks, David. It's a short read, but it's packed full of information and statistics, and I'm just amazed at the footnotes. Everything is substantiated on the facts that are given in the book, but just to kind of briefly recap what you put in the book, and you can elaborate, but something I'll put out there for the listening audience, that 38% of the generated electricity in the United States comes from natural gas. Mm Mm-hmm. But to piggyback upon that statistic, 20% of the generated electricity in the U.S. comes from nuclear. Mm-hmm. So over one half of electricity is produced between natural gas and nuclear. Right. So there is renewables in there. Hydro is in that. Looking forward for energy sources, I think hydro is capped out as you know, there's not a lot more Locations that can be dammed up and create the dams needed to generate the hydro. Right. Personally, I know we have the uh, climate change issues going on in ESG, but something that's not talked about very much when we're talking about wind and solar as the touted savior for energy and climate change is nuclear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just want to reiterate, you know, the statistics that I've found that listeners probably can re-verify that through the EIA information, the uh, energy information mm-hmm. federal government's agency, energy information agency through the right. federal government, that 20% of electricity today is generated from nuclear. So I think that probably needs to be talked about more than what we hear about in the legacy media.
1: Well, yeah, that's what I mentioned was reference to, Natural gas and to wind, solar, and so forth is all we hear about. And I said oil in the sense that people are always referring to the oil situation. But when it comes to the climate and to environmental stewardship, I see that we've done a wonderful job in so many ways through the years to not only meet regulation requirements, but to step forward beyond that and to look at innovation and technology. And here in Oklahoma, as well as in Texas and throughout the region and nation, we've led that effort even in globally, we've done that. So appreciate you mentioning that because oil seems to be where everything leads to getting the bad rap these days when it comes down to shutting down, but they've included natural gas in that as well when it comes to fossil fuels, but fossil fuels are still a big, important part for our future for years to come. As You mentioned controlling products and so forth that are necessary in our daily use for us, plastics and on and on. So if you will, tell us a little bit more about some of the stats or some of the issues you're seeing that we should be aware of.
0: Well, I think a key stat that needs to be brought up today is we're approaching wintertime here in the United States, and quick mention is that natural gas prices are up 33 percent over one year ago today. And you know, as we approach the heating season, I think the general public needs to be made aware of the potential cost and the heat for natural gas and electricity that's going to be used to create heat those costs for those products electricity and natural gas are going to increase and they will substantially increase over the winter and i think that's going to be a sticker price shock for the general public i don't think the legacy media is doing a big enough warning of the potential cost for the general public for maintaining their standard of living and just trying to stay warm and cook over the winter. At Europe, the situation of the energy situation in Europe right now, that we do see in the media a little bit, but I don't think the general American public really is grabbing, has a real grasp of the situation that could become very life-threatening. Now, I I hate to be negative, but I'll try to turn it positive, but we Mm -hmm. just need to be aware that uh, energy costs are not going down. Energy costs are going to be going up and could be dramatic over the winter.
1: Well, if we would have had and still could get the proper support, we could definitely uh, see better results. And that means definitely understanding the public and consumers of the importance of not only electricity side and the natural gas, wind, solar, and so forth, but the importance of the oil industry. As I mentioned, I put all that into the equation of natural resources not necessarily, they each provide the same benefits, but they are all in the same family of natural resources. So to exclude those and how we can supplement each of these forms of energy to help us through the next 100, 200 years, we've got reserves, we've got the natural resources in place. We just need to prove those up and make things happen. And you're doing that through your company, uh, through your efforts, through the efforts of your associations you're part of, and educating the public. Is so important. I hope that you'll continue to take that leadership role. Is there anything you can pass along from a business standpoint? That some tips for especially the up and coming leaders, and maybe refresh someone in my age group. <laughs> Forty-five years in the business, I'm still learning. By the way, and learning is such an important part. What kind of tips or advice can you pass on to all of us that you think would be good for us to incorporate in our lives? Well, you know,
0: I think that's an excellent question, and I'm a- glad you threw that to me. Education, as we mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, is vital, gives you a wonderful foundation, allows you to achieve goals, to be successful in business, whether you're working for yourself or if you're working for a company. But in addition to education, it's relationships that you develop. As a point to that, look at the business relationship that you and I have had, which have been made through The trade associations that we've been involved with, such as the National Association of Royalty Owners, Energy Advocates, the Marginal Well Commission, the relationships create opportunities, whether those opportunities are for more different job, more job opportunities, or business opportunities to make investments. So I would say to both the younger people and to people our age, education is number one but relationships is probably number two.
1: Great advice. Great suggestions for our future. Really, thank you, David. You've been listening to David A. Guest. David Guest, a great friend of mine with our energy industry and for our nation's efforts ahead when it comes to energy. Really appreciate you, David. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the time today to speak with you. Yes, and you've been listening to the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansberry. Again, thanks, David. The future of energy depends on us.
0: Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.